Our Old Testament lesson is from Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. And this is the call of uh, Jeremiah. We're only going to read the first 10 verses of this. Um, But it does hit on some of what we've talked about there in the children's sermon. Before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. And God, we thank you for your word that you have given to us. God, this morning we pray that you would help us to hear your word. God, that you would open our ears, that we would truly hear your word, that you would open our minds, that we would understand your word, and that you would soften our hearts, that we would receive your word for us today in a life-changing way. God, that by your word and by your spirit, you would continue to change us from the inside out into the people that you have made us to be in relationship with you through Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. The words of Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, one of the priests at Anathoth in the territory of Benjamin. The word of the Lord came to him in the thirtieth, in the thirteenth year of the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah. And through the reign of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, down to the fifth month and the eleventh year of Zedekiah, son of Josiah, king of Judah, when the people of Jerusalem went into exile. That's when it is. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I am too young. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I have appointed you, see, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to plant and overthrow, to to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. Turning then to our New Testament lesson, Matthew chapter 10, verses 16 through 20. This is Jesus talking to his uh, disciples as he's sending them out. Uh, for mission and ministry. And he says, I'm sending you out. Probably not how you'd want to get sent out. He says, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, The word of the Lord speaking through you. This is kind of what uh, God was saying to Jeremiah. This is what Jesus is saying to his disciples. And uh, this is also what we want to hear from is the word of the Lord. I've been struck again recently with, uh, I don't know if you've noticed, the president's been making some speeches lately. And I'm not going to talk about the content of those speeches. (laughs) But just the fact that the presidents do this from time to time. And uh, one of the things that I have been struck with is how years ago, I didn't really care 
to listen to what the president said in those speeches. All I wanted to do was listen to people comment afterwards. I felt like that was saving me time and saving me effort, and that was, you know, it was much better. It was a lot easier that way, and then I knew what to think, and I didn't have to come do any of the hard work myself. And the older I have gotten, the less interested I am in any of the commentary afterwards. <laughs> and the more I just want to hear it straight, hear what actually happened, and then uh, determine for myself what's really going on. And in, in that, there is helpful commentary. I know especially when there's a State of the Union address, and then afterwards you get these people who are talking about uh, how this particular address relates to all the State of the Union addresses that, of past presidents, and you're like, how do they know this stuff? Who knows this stuff? This is amazing. I don't know this stuff. Uh, but it's helpful to see how that all fits in context. So some of the commentary is helpful. So I'm not saying stay away from all commentary. You'll have to decide for yourself how much is helpful and how much is unhelpful for you. Uh, that said, If it's ever the commentary that is replacing the actual thing, it's probably not helpful. (laughs) And the same is true when we come to hearing from the Word of God. If what we are uh, listening to is other people talking about the Bible and we're not listening to the Bible itself, that's probably a problem. And so this morning, we actually have, uh, for the sermon this morning, I will be giving some additional commentary (laughs) on this passage to help us understand and apply it. But mostly today, we're going to just hear Paul preaching. He's in Caesarea. He's, in, uh, he's under arrest there. He's been there for two years. He's already had multiple times where people have been accusing him of things, and he's been defending himself. And we've seen over and over again that his, the way he defends himself is not really to defend himself, but just to tell his story in a way that other people will come to know Jesus. That's what he's doing. And we're going to hear him do that today. Last week we heard the very beginning of that speech where he just says, I beg you to listen to me patiently. So that's where I'm going to begin. (laughs) I beg you to listen to him patiently. That you will put yourself in the uh, place of King Agrippa who he's talking to. And that you will hear uh, what Paul actually says, how he tells his story in a way that leads to Jesus. And, And so here's what I want you to listen to. Three Three things he tells the story. One is listen to Paul and how he describes himself before meeting Jesus. What is his character like? What kinds of things does he spend his time and energy doing? Secondly, when he meets Jesus, what is that encounter like? How is it that Jesus confronts him, challenges him, changes the direction of his life? And encourages him in the days to come. And then third, (laughs) how is it uh, that Paul lives after that initial encounter with Jesus? What kinds of things does he spend his time and energy doing then in this part of his life? Those are the main three things I want you to listen for. What was Paul like before? What was Paul like, or what was the encounter like with Jesus? And then what was Paul like afterwards? But then finally, one more thing. What is the response of those who hear this uh, testimony of Paul? How do they respond? And there are a couple different responses, and we'll get into that here in a little bit. But like I say, the main thing we want to do is hear the Word of God. So if you have uh, ever had a tendency when we're reading the Bible to kind of tune out, and now just get back in when we get to the commentary part, stop it. 
What I'm about to read is the important part. <laughs> so make sure you're tuned in right here. This is um, the word of the Lord. Acts 26, we'll be reading verses 4 through 32. <clears throat> Paul continues his speech to Agrippa, saying, The Jewish people all know the way I have lived ever since I was a child, from the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time and can testify, if they are willing, that I conformed to the strictest sect of our religion, living as a Pharisee. And now it is because of my hope in what God has promised our ancestors that I am on trial today. This is the promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. King Agrippa, it is because of this hope that these Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? I, too, was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, King Agrippa, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I asked, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet, I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven, first to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and then to the Gentiles. I preached that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. That is why some Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But God has helped me to this very day, so I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer, and as the first to rise from the dead, would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You are out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. Your great learning is driving you insane. I am not insane, most excellent Festus. Paul replied, what I am saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things, and I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. 
King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Then Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul replied, short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. The king rose and with him the governor and Bernice and those sitting with them. And after they left the room, they began saying to one another, this man is not doing anything that deserves death or imprisonment. Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. So there you go. That's it. This is the message. Paul has presented his defense, and as you can see, it is not a way of defending himself to get him out of trouble. In fact, if you saw that last line, he could have gone free, except he had to go and open his big mouth <laughs> and appeal to Caesar. I have to tell you, when I was younger, reading through Acts, I would you know, go through like a chapter at a time. I don't know. That's fine, but sort of lose the sense of the whole story and sweep of things. And so by the time you get to chapter 26, it's easy to have forgotten chapter 1. But getting older and having read it over again and at a quicker pace, you start to hold the whole story more together, and you start remembering chapter 1 when you get to chapter 26. And it used to be that when I would get to chapter 26 and I would hear uh, Agrippa saying, this man could have been set free if he'd not appealed to Caesar, I was always like, ah, what a shame, Paul. If only you had kept your mouth shut. If you hadn't appealed to Caesar, you could have gone free, and that would have been a good thing. But instead, you appealed to Caesar, and so you're not free, and so you're still in prison, and now you're going to be sent off and uh, still having another trial to face, and that's a bad thing. That's how I used to read it, but I don't anymore. And now the way that I read this is seeing that what Jesus said was going to happen is what's going to happen because Jesus is the one who's overseeing the whole thing. And so if you go back to chapter 1 and Jesus says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And this is the progression that we have seen throughout the entire book of Acts is that the message starts with the disciples as witnesses in Jerusalem and then it spreads out from there to all Judea and Samaria and now it's been spreading out to the Gentiles and now it's going to go to the ends of the earth which at that point we're talking about getting to Rome. This is where Paul has been wanting to go, heading to Rome to get the message from Jesus, uh, the message of Jesus all the way to the ends of the earth. This is what Jesus said was going to happen. This is what Jesus said was going to happen even with Paul himself. You are going to be a witness. And now you look at this sentence again, and you say, wait, Paul could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. And then where would he be? Still in Caesarea, still in Israel. But he doesn't get set free. Instead, he's appealed to Caesar. That even though he was innocent, he stayed in chains so the message could make it to the end of the earth. In other words, Paul intentionally is giving up his own freedom for the sake of others to hear the good news of Jesus. Does that sound about right? Does that sound about how Jesus is of giving up his own freedom? That's what you read about in Philippians 2. We'll talk about that later on Wednesday. This is what... Uh, Paul talks about in 
Philippians 2, of uh, Jesus giving up his freedom in order to, uh, to come, to give up his life for us, for the good of others. This is what he calls us to as well, to give up our freedoms, to give up our life for the good of others. This is what we see Paul doing here. Why do we see Paul doing this? Well, if you go back through what you just listened to, this is not the kind of thing Paul would have done in his early days, is it? Earlier in Paul's life, how did he live? He was very much okay with taking other people's freedoms (laughs) so that he could still be the good guy. But then he meets Jesus, and Jesus changes everything. And now he's no longer the one who's going after other people to take their freedoms so that he can be the good guy. Now he's the one who is seeking to give up his freedoms for the good of others so that he can tell people about the good news of Jesus. And this is what he's doing with, uh, with King Agrippa at this point. He's talking to this king, not to get himself out of trouble, but to get the king out of trouble, as we said last week. That what Paul wants right now is for King Agrippa to receive the good news of Jesus for him. And that's why we had that, uh, you know, Festus, obviously, he's missing it. He's like, you're insane. That's my take on this whole thing. You are insane. And there's people in the world who will, you preach this message, that will be your response. You are insane. But then there's someone like Agrippa. And you can tell that the message is kind of getting through. He understands what Paul is saying. He understands that what Paul is wanting is for Agrippa to receive this message personally. But he's not ready yet, and so he deflects. And instead of giving it a yes or a no, he's just like, what are you doing, Paul? Are you trying to, are you trying to convince me to be a Christian? <laughs> sort of deflects. Are you doing that, trying to do this right now? And Paul's response is beautiful. He's saying, short time or long, whether you, if you become a Christian today, praise God. <laughs> but if you don't today, I pray that today is not your last opportunity. But that if it takes the whole rest of your life, that at some point his, the message of God's love for you and his forgiveness and his grace and his mercy for you, that this would break through, this would get through into your heart, that you too would become a Christian. And not only you, King Agrippa, but everyone who's hearing this. Which I think means everyone who was there in the room that day and everyone who hears this even today. That this is the prayer, that everyone who would hear this message would become, as Paul says, what he is, except for the chains. <laughs> but that we would be those who would accept this good news, receiving it as good news of Jesus being the one who is the king, the one who is the only one who should be the king, and that he is. Paul points out in all this, as he's saying to Agrippa, I'm not saying anything new. This is what the prophets have said for a long time. All I'm saying, what they've all been saying is that God was going to send his Messiah. That's been the message from old. All I'm saying is that Jesus is the Messiah that God was going to send. Jesus of Nazareth, the one who went around preaching and teaching and healing, the one who was crucified, and then he rose again, that this one is the Messiah, that this one is God's king over all the kings, King Agrippa. 
This is the one who is God's king over the whole world and over every person in it. And I think this is what he means when he says to Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. We talked last week about how King Agrippa is one who is familiar with the Jewish religion. He was familiar with the Old Testament scriptures. He's familiar with the promises. And this is why Paul says, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. I know you're familiar with it. I know you believe what they said. Now, if you will just follow, connect the dots, see that trail of bread comes where it leads, it's leading to Jesus. You know, all these arrows have been pointing in the same direction, and there is no other conclusion. But the question is, what are you going to do with it? And my prayer, he says, is that you would become what I am, that you would become one who sees not yourself as the king anymore, that you would see Jesus as the king and as your king, that you would become what I am, that you would become a Christian. My prayer is that each of us would receive that anew, if we have before, or for the first time if we never have. And that we would be able to go out in the power of God's Spirit who gives us the words to say, to tell our story, not in a way to glorify ourselves, but to tell our story in a way where there is a, before we met Jesus, what our encounter with Jesus is like, and how now we live to the glory of God and service of others because of what Jesus is doing in us and in the world. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.